Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. Well, good morning. It's actually nice and, I shouldn't say nice, but it's really cold out compared to the last couple weeks. Um, But welcome to Revolution. Uh, I'm not Jay, as you can tell. Um, Jay is actually finishing up Loose in the Bible Belt. He was on there for the last week. Uh, I think last night they were in New Orleans, so he's flying back today. And so a couple weeks ago he asked me. And uh, so, yeah, here I am. Um, My name's Brian. I'm a regular here. Um, Jay and I have actually been friends for quite a number of years, and I actually interviewed him for my dissertation for my doctorate that I wrote, so that was fun. And uh, so he asked me a couple weeks ago to fill in, and so here I am. Today we're going to talk about, I have a talk, I don't want to say a sermon, but I have a talk on, it's called The Many Ways of Understanding. In racking my brain to come up with something for the service, I was looking through my bookshelf and saw Rob Bell's book, which if you know me, I'm a real big Rob Bell fan. He has a book called What is the Bible? And it's like a subtitle that's super long, but What is the Bible is the name of the main uh, title of the book. I flipped through the pages and honed in on, a, uh, on the chapter called Turning the Gem. This phrase in the rabbinic tradition simply means that scripture has many faces. When you read the scripture, you keep turning the scripture like a gem letting the light refract through the various faces in new ways. How many of us heard the saying, I take the Bible literally? Have we heard that? If it says it in the Bible, it's okay by me. First off, it is, I'm sure most of us will say it's really easy to shoot holes into that argument. Um, in Scripture, we see that there's texts that it's okay to own slaves, that it's okay to have mass violence, to kill entire communities, slaughter animals, children, infidelity, the mistreatment of women, and it goes on and on and on and on. So we really can't say the Bible, we can read it literally. We have to read it in its context. We have to read it who it was written to, why it was written to, and then frankly, we have to look at it as that portion of Scripture actually relevant for us today. Do we have to look at it and say, yeah, I want to believe in it because I think we've evolved as people, as as creatures, to a lot of the stuff we can just throw out. I know a lot of people don't like saying that, but I, I think so. A lot of people, it's black or white, yes or no. Sadly, this is how many people in our faith deal with deal with it. As readers and as readers and hearers of scripture, we need to understand that scripture was not written in a vacuum. It was written over a course of many centuries by a course of people dealing with many different things. One has to realize that much of the stories in Scripture are metaphorical, or or we just have to understand things in a new light. We have to turn that gem. There are stories in Scripture that may at one time meant something to that people or to that culture, And we cannot forget that point. However, we need to realize that no portion of scripture was written to us in our own context 
or in our own situations. Rather, the scripture gives voice to people who may have went through something or a particular story that we read in the Bible. Um, it was written, obviously, to a certain group of people at a certain time for a certain reason. And I'm, you could probably open our Bible. We have our Bible to any part and just see how it was maybe written to the church in Philippians or, or the church in Thessalonica for Thessalonians. They're important things to understand for us, but they just weren't written for us. We can't say, oh, well, that happened in here, so there might be some applicable things to look at and see that it's important, but to say that that was written for Brian or for like my family in 21st century America and Minnesota, we just can't say that. So a couple quick stories that I'm going to do that I think kind of reflect how I even at a younger age didn't really didn't know turning of the gem or what that even was about but I think it was quite uh, these two stories will kind of put that in together I went to college at North Central University actually right down the road here uh, I was at Sunday's of God school and my undergrad was in pastoral studies I haven't pretty much really delineated from there but um I was in a class on preaching. It was, I, f I think the class was intro to like homiletics or something like that. And one of the assignments was to take a portion of scripture that our professor who would give out, and he was a preacher or a pastor for a long, long time. My teacher comes up, you know, I did the assignment, and really what the assignment was was I forget the portion of the scripture, but he's like, here's like a verse or two of scripture, and without any commentaries, without anything, like shoot from your hip, here's about take about 20 minutes, open up your Bibles, and just look at this portion of Scripture. Look at it and see what you think. It's like Look at the context, who was it written for, why was it written, what, kind, what were they supposed to get out of it, what can we get out of it. So I did it. We all handed our assignment in. Then the next day, it was like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday class. So that Friday, my professor comes up to me, and he's like, why didn't you do this assignment? You were in class. I was like, his name was Dr. Watson, and I was like, Dr. Watson, I did that. I did this this paper, you know, I remember doing it, and my classmates were like, yeah, Brian did do it. And he was like, well, just do it again. I don't have it. And I was like, okay. So I went back and did it, but what I did was I looked at that same portion of Scripture, and I interpreted it a different way. I looked at it in a different way. I was turning that gem where, where – and if it was like two or three people in that story – the one way I said, this is how this person is going to look at it, and let's look at it from this other perspective or like another person. And I wrote it, handed it in. Then that next day for a class or on that Monday, my teacher comes up to me after class. He's like, hey, Brian, can I talk to you? Sure, okay. He's like, I really have to f confess. He's like, there was two Brians in the class, and that other Brian didn't do the paper. You did. So you had to do this twice. And I was like, yeah, I had. I was trying to tell you that, and you really didn't believe me. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. And he's like, but I'm really impressed with something. And I'm like, what? He's like, in like the 20-some years that I've been a, pre a preacher and I've been teaching, he's like, no one's ever did what you did. And I was like, okay, now you're scaring me. Like, what did I do? And he was like, well, no one's ever taken this assignment that I've done and come up with these multiple different meanings. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he was like, well, no, like, 
usually people are like, oh, there's just that one way. There's usually that one way to look at it. And he's like, by you, by you coming and doing um, like a different, like a, the, the second way of doing that, he's like, more people should do that. He's like, I should do that, but I just never have done it. And I just was kind of like, even was taken aback, like, so how do like ministers, if they want to preach over that same story again, can they not do it? Because they've only looked at it that one way. And that just got me thinking, like, when we read scripture or any Bible story, I mean, I'm sure a lot of us know the Bible, like, story of, like, Noah, Noah Ark or any creation story. Like, one of my favorite is um, the prodigal son. How do, can we look at it just one way or can we look at it multiple ways? And I think that's the whole part of what Rob was saying in his book on turning the gem is when we look at scripture, any, por- any verse to any story, you know, to the meta narrative we got to look at it and look at it in multiple different ways. Because I, I tell people there's 7 billion people in the world, probably more now, so there's 7 billion ways that people are going to look at the Bible. Because each of us have important things to bring to the text and how it, it implies to us. And I'm not saying that it's right or wrong to do that. It's just that's how I, I was telling my wife when I was going over this with her, that the Bible, in my opinion, is a living, breathing thing, and we got to take it seriously, and we got to let it kind of wash over us as we look at it. So the second story, still in college, I had a class called The Life of Jesus, and it was pretty much the life of when, it was just from when um, his three years of ministry, not from when he was born to, to uh, when he was 30, but just the last three years. Um, I knew my professor was a literalist. You know, he was uh, like, it's in the Bible, it's good enough for me, blah, blah, blah. So, and I wasn't, looking back at college, and my wife can attest, like, I met her at college. I liked to, at that time, I knew I wasn't that denomination, the Summons of God, um, actually the same denomination Jay grew up as. And I I wanted to push the the boundaries a little bit, because that's just kind of a person like I am. Like, someone's like, oh, you know, this is how it is. I'm like, meh, I don't think it is. And maybe I believe that, but I just kind of want to rock the boat a little bit. So what this person was saying all throughout the class was just like, well, this is what it says in the Bible, and this is what it says, so it's good. And I'm like, Scripture's not that easy. And I said, we believe that. And I looked at him, I said, slavery's wrong, right? Well, yeah. So, But it says in the Bible in a lot of places that you can own slaves. Well, yeah, but we've kind of evolved from that. And I said, but what you're saying is that you believe everything in the Bible, and so, like, what do you do with slavery? You use this proof text that you found. And he's like, well, why are you trying to be so divisive? I said, I'm not trying to be divisive. I'm just trying to show you that there's when we read Scripture, we have to look at it in the context. And I don't think slavery was ever right, was ever right but that just as the people at that time, they were doing what they've been doing all along. And obviously throughout history, we've looked at slavery. We're like, that's wrong. It's not right to own people. So let's stop that practice. Anyway, that particular day we were talking about, someone brought up, a different classmate brought up, why do we never see Joseph that much um, in Jesus's later life? Like we know the story of Mary and Joseph when they had, the, when they had um, Jesus. I mean, a little bit through the scripture we see, you know, when Jesus ran away and he was in the temple, that Joseph and, his, and Mary were trying to find him. But 
you don't really see that much about Joseph. And this, the student asked the question, and I, and I kind of piggybacked off her, and I was like, well, yeah, why don't we really see Joseph that much? Was it important? Like, most of the gospel, the four gospels, we really don't hear about Joseph that much. And I was like, why? And that professor looked like a deer in the headlights. Like, I don't know what's happening. Why did you ask me this question? But, you know, you're in college. You're supposed to ask these questions. And, I, and, I, and when I was kind of going over this with Amanda the other day, I asked her the, same, the two questions that I had asked in class. I can still remember. I was like, maybe two reasons. I said, maybe, just maybe, Joseph and Jesus weren't on good terms so we had that's a possibility and i was like because think about it how many people how many stories have we heard throughout the millennia of a woman getting pregnant by the spirit having that child and and you know when we know the whole rest of the story but as a, as a guy i mean i just have a five-month-old kid if my wife mysteriously got pregnant and said, oh, this is from the Holy Spirit, I got impregnated, and this is Jesus. I think as me, as the husband, I would get, be like, what the heck? This seems really, this just seems really odd. This seems really peculiar. So it's like, and we see in Scripture that Jesus actually had other brothers and sisters, whether they were obviously full-blooded or half, whatever. I was like, so I asked, I was like, maybe, maybe just Jesus and, and Joseph weren't, close. I said, we know that Joseph by trade was a carpenter, and that Jesus dabbled in carpentry, but maybe he just did that because this is what my dad did, but I said, maybe they just weren't. Maybe maybe Joseph was just kind of a jerk, and was like, I'm not comfortable with this whole situation. That could be, not saying that that's true, but it's kind of turning the gem of asking these questions. And then the second question I asked was, I was like, in looking at history, looking at the biblical time, I said, it was not wrong for men to marry multiple women to, 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 for polygamy. I said, I'm not condoning it, but that was something that you could do. Like, I could just divorce my wife if I wanted to. Hey, you made my food wrong. I don't like this. Or I want to have, you know, more than, than, one, than one wife. And men, I, I don't know exactly the age, but... Most scholars think that Mary, when she gave birth to Jesus, was probably anywhere between, like, maybe 13 to 16. So, and we, they didn't live as long as lives. Like, you don't, so the people we can live to 80, 90 years old now. If you were, like, 40 or 50 in Bible times, that was old. So, and they think that Joseph was probably in his mid to upper 20s, if not even in his early 30s. So, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility, I said to my professor, that couldn't, Joseph had been remarried or married to another person and had another family because in that culture, you, the more men you had, the more boys you had, your lineage, your name could keep going and going and going, and the more sons you had, the better it was. I said, and I said in the class, I'm not saying that that is per se the re- why it happened or it is, but it could be in the realm of possibility. My professor just stared at me for like, it seemed like five minutes. It was probably only like 30 seconds. And he, you, I could tell like he was thinking of some sort of snide remark to say. And he looked at me and he smiled and he's like, yeah, that could be in the realm of possibility, but I choose not to believe that. 
And I said, well, why do you choose not to believe that? Because he's like, because that's not what the Bible says. And I was like, I agree. But I said, we have to look at the Bible as there's going to be parts of the Bible that we don't like. There are going to be parts of the Bible that we need to question. And I love the Bible. You know, people look at it all the time. They're like, oh, why do you like the Bible? Why do you read it? Well, as a Christian, I think a lot we should read the Bible. But I look at the story, and it's like I love, I love movies. My wife and I love movies. But when I look at a movie, if there's always, like, the villain or, like, a comic book movie, there's the villain or there's a superhero, when I watch it, like, I'll watch it the first time and say, okay, what does Batman say? What are we supposed to get, like, the metaphor out of that or, or the good things? But when I watch it again, I'll be like, well, how should we look at it from the villain's standpoint? Why should we look at it from the villain's standpoint? And that's just how maybe my mind works. Not all of us are like that, but even putting that into scripture, I'll be like, how are we supposed to look at that? And like another point of one of my favorite Bible stories is the story of the prodigal son. And I actually wrote a paper on seminary on it, and I just loved it. And I, I, I wrote it in like kind of different, just different chunks, almost like separate stories. And I was like, obviously, let's look at from the, the son itself, the son who went away, you know, asked for his inheritance, which was a big no-no, went into the city, did all this debauchery, whatever, and then he came back. And we know, if we know the whole story. Then I, the next part, I looked at the father. I, how, how do we look at this story from the father's perspective? How, how would it be? And I looked at it really different because at that time, I wasn't a father. Now I am a father. So even going back to this story again, I would look at it at a different perspective because at the time I wasn't a, a father, and now I am. So then I could look at it in a different way. And then I looked at it, the, the last part of the, the paper, I looked at it from the other son's perspective. The son who was like, what the hell, Dad? I've been here. I've done everything you've wanted me to do. And my punk brother comes back, and you're going to kill the fattened calf for him. You're going to do, you know, place this robe on him. Like, why? And you could, and, and then I ended the chapter, uh, the paper saying, could we not all be all three of these people at some time in our life? Could we not be the prodigal son? Could we not be the brother? Could we not be the father? Or maybe we could even be one of the, one of the slaves out in the field. Who knows? And that's the whole point, I think, with turning the gem, what Rob was saying, was when you look at Scripture, you constantly, constantly have to be looking at the multiple different meanings of it. And in the fancy biblical scholarship way is hermeneutics, which is the art and science of interpretation. And you're going to have people say, oh, there's this one hermeneutic, there's this one hermeneutic, there's hermeneutic of suspicion. And I'll just say, Everyone has a hermeneutic. Everyone has an interpretation because we're all different people. There's not one of us who's alike. And yes, I'm going against what a lot of biblical scholars would say, but there's just that one right way to look at Scripture. And I'm saying to you as someone who's been in education a long time, there's really not a consensus out there. You're going to have people on every different kind of camp. But what I would say to you right now, and I guess my heart and my passion is when you read the Bible... When you look at the stories, when you look at every verse from Genesis to Revelation, really question it. 
really just start looking and say, how does, how does this apply to me? But not just apply to me, but how did this affect people in ancient Israel? How did, how did this affect the people in, in Philippi or in Corinth when we look at, you know, 1 Corinthians or Philippians? And then put yourself in there. Say, okay, if you're reading a part of the epistles, be like, why was Paul saying this? And then we have to look at it and say, well, if Paul was saying this, could Paul be right or Paul could be wrong? And I don't know if I had said it yet, but I guess Rob, Rob did some of the nitty-gritty work, and he was like, in the rabbinic tradition, there, there wasn't a right or wrong way of looking at Scripture. There was just looking at Scripture, where he was saying that there was over... If, if you had 50 people in the room, you're going to have 50 to 60 to 70, 80 different ways of looking at Scripture. And they're going to, of looking at the same Scripture, they're going to be like, well, yeah, this is this story, but there's this and there's this. And it wasn't ever like they were right or they're wrong. That's what it is. And that's what, what jazzes me is if we could all just look at, not saying we're going to do this, but if we as a collective people could just look at a story and say, yeah, I think I get see this from here, or I see this from here. And not to say, well, you're right, you're wrong, but just saying they're questions. We're, we're making the scripture come alive, which I think it is alive. It's not just words in a, in, on some paper in a, in a book, but it's something that's really alive that we can look at and can really engage us. And if we can stop bickering, I know Jay said this about other stuff, but if we can stop bickering about this group or this group or this politics. Yeah, I, I don't like politics right now myself, but how, how can we open this up, look at stories, and appreciate the different nuances, the variations and interpretations of it? And maybe that can trickle out to our normal everyday life. I'm going to read one last thing. Wasn't I liked, if anybody knows me, I like to read, like when I preach a sermon, like at a church church, not at a bar or bowling alley. I like to do manuscript, like read it just so I can memorize or look at things. But when I come here, I don't like doing that. And then I realize that my talks, sermons, whatever you want to say, aren't that long, but I more want that kind of conversation at the end that Jay just started. So hopefully you guys have questions that we can talk about. But one thing that Rob said at the end of this chapter, which I think really nails it on the head about turning the gem, is he says this, you dance with the Bible, but you also interrogate it. You challenge it, you question it, you poke it, you probe it, you let it get under your skin. We read it, and we let it read us. And then we turn the gem again and again and again until something new happens over and over and over. Let's pray. Dear God, help us when we do read scripture, when we reflect on anything in it, whether it's from Genesis to Revelation to any, any of the major stories in there. Help us to turn that gem. Help us to see the light coming through that refraction, maybe in a way we never saw it before. Maybe we can get a new sort of 
truth out of there, a new highlight or a new something that we can, that challenges us in a good way. Or maybe it challenges us in a way that we weren't used to, or maybe that we, maybe at times aren't even okay with, and that's fine. But just help it when we read scripture that it challenges us, challenges us, it pokes us, it probes us, it gets us, gets under our skin, and that we're constantly picking at it, and that please make make the Bible, make the scripture, make the words come alive to us. Help it help us to realize that the Bible is not some old archaic thing that we just keep on our shelves and dust it off a couple times a year, but that when we really look at it, help us to just see the refractions of the truth and light coming through. And we give this in your name. Amen.